Karma Productions Worldwide, in association with NMD Plus Productions in London and the William Mills Agency, presents Bankadelic from Money 2020, a series of special podcast episodes that feature interviews with some of the people who are making the financial services world and fintech rock. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, and join us for the conversations that took place at one of the premier financial services conventions in all the world. Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Money 2020. We are live in Las Vegas. The podcast is Bankadelic. The host, for better or for worse, is Lou Carlozo. And I want to give you an update I've lost about $10,000 in the casino. However, it was a play casino and it was Monopoly money. But do you think I would be happy with that? No, I am plotting my comeback. And uh, he's not necessarily here to help me with that, but he is here to talk about his business. Imagine that we're going to get down to business here. And that person, which we are very privileged to have, is Pat White. Pat is the co-founder and CEO of Bitwave. That's a software platform that provides cryptocurrency accounting, tax tracking, bookkeeping, DeFi ROI monitoring, and crypto AR slash AP services for enterprise businesses. With more than 10 years experience building enterprise software at companies such as Intuit, Microsoft, Five9, and Fortify Software, which is now HP Security. Pat launched Ally Software in 2009. That's an enterprise software consulting firm, which he ran for three years before creating Sonata, an enterprise search engine in 2012. That is quite the track record, <laughs> Pat. Sonata was acquired by Cisco. See, Cisco can't always create the things they need, right? So who do they go to? They go to Pat White. <laughs> Pat White has contributed code to Bitcoin, Ethereum, and several other cryptocurrency projects. He is a co-host of the DeFi Daily podcast, a fellow podcaster, yes. Y'all yeah, love the, the podcasts. And a graduate of the University of Southern California. Pat, welcome to Bankadelic. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me. And I, I got to ask, was it, was it craps? That's where I lose all my money. Never win on craps it was jacks oh. <laughs> <laughs> because in the play casino they got yeah. the jacks in the ball i'll tell you what <laughs> i have this theory i want to run it by yeah. you since you're uh, a tech wizard my theory is that if you walk into the casino with a goal all i want to do is win a hundred bucks you go to the roulette table where the odds are near even and yeah. you bet a hundred bucks yeah. on red or black if you lose, you up the bet to 200. If you lose, you up the bet to 400. And you just are really calculating the odds that at some point your number will come up. And as soon as it does, you collect your chips and you walk away. Do you it think is, that would work? It is a, uh, there's, there's actually a paradox around it. But, so there's, there's, a, there's a statistical paradox around it, which is interesting. But the way the casino stops that is they have a max bet. So you, uh, like usually your roulette table will have a $2,000 max bet. So you only get, what's that, four doublings, five doublings until you, uh, until you just lost $2,000. <laughs> <on it. laughs> so it's a real good way to lose a lot of money. With my luck. It would probably do five reds in a row exactly. and I'd be SOL. And then I got to explain to my wife where the $1,000 went or $2,000, right. right? And tell me, since we're both podcasters, I did not know this about you. Tell me a little bit about DeFi Daily. It's a, it's a, uh, 
Uh, we like to say it's a almost daily. It used to be daily, and now, gosh, it's a lot of work doing a podcast. You'll appreciate that. But we, uh, it's basically, it's a, it's sort of a tracking show talking about cryptocurrency. Honestly, at this point, we we started it at the beginning of the pandemic, and it was sort of 2020 was the summer of DeFi. I, I don't. We'll we'll get into this as we get into it. But DeFi stands for decentralized finance. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Just learning about it, but yeah. it sounds really, really cool. It is. It is. You know. There are different things that are going to bring digital assets to everybody in the world, you know, and that's I like to think about the world in terms of like, what are the use cases they're going to actually bring cryptocurrency to the masses? DeFi is one of those. Like DeFi is one of the foundational rewriting of the financial services industry that really has changed the entire world. So we got into it. We we cover everything from, you know, what are the happenings around Compound, which is a lending protocol, or, you know, different liquidity pools for trading, DEXs, what happened, the biggest hack. I mean, it's always fun. Everyone loves talking about hacks. So we always cover yeah. the big hacks and things like that. So, yeah, you can find us uh, wherever podcasts are sold, uh, DeFi, the DeFi Daily on Apple and things like that. But we've, uh, we've been doing it less frequently. It's... Uh, Podcasts are hard work. I have respect they for you, my friend. Really are at this conference. I'm just basically get them in, get it out raw. Yeah, exactly. Whereas when I'm doing the podcast from the home studio in Chicago, I'm very meticulous in my editing, probably to my detriment. <laughs> yeah. But I can only get one out a week, and some weeks I have to skip because it's a super long podcast, and I'm obsessive compulsive about getting the ums and the errs out of people uh, speaking yeah. because I feel like it's more erudite and yet I'm putting these podcasts out here and I doubt anyone's noticing no no yeah um er uh, <laughs> uh, yeah you know like right we, so we, ended up, we do it's a 10 minute 10 minute kind of as close to daily as we can do which anymore has been like monthly but uh, the nice part about about 10 minutes is we basically if we screw up halfway through, we just start over and re-record. It just it, makes your life so much easier. Exactly. No, no editing. No the editing. Record button is yeah. your best friend. Yeah, exactly. Now, speaking of which, and if you can reach over to knob number one and turn it down just a little bit. There we go. All right. How See, that's how live we are. <laughs> We're engineering on the fly, people. I would love to hear a little bit more about what Bitwave is doing. One of the things that caught my attention is cryptocurrency accounting and yeah. tax tracking. Now to most people, that could be boring. Here's my background. I just finished a paper for the Center for Audit Quality. I was part of a team at ACE AICPA, which I headed up, which had to do with their industry reputation people. So that was very much fun. And then I spent seven years there freelancing and was at the top of their freelance ranks trying to explain things like Bitcoin or whatever yeah. to people. So the tax angle might not be fascinating, but if you think about it, absolutely necessary and everybody's yeah. going to need to know about it. What are you guys doing? Oh, it's, it is so fascinating. I mean, honestly... If you like this stuff, because the world is all about the problems you want to solve and the fun stuff you want to work on. It is crypto accounting and tax is an incredibly hard problem space. So Bitwave in general, the, the mission, the way we describe our company is that we are enabling digital assets for enterprises. So that's how we think about our, our mission in life. What I wake up every single day to do is how do I how do we you know there are companies that are out there like reddit asks a question in some ways of how do we get the next you know two million retail users onto crypto and that's that's really really fun we asked the question of how do we get the next ten thousand businesses on how do we get all fortune 500 companies onto crypto and what's that what's that world going to look like so when you think about it that way the we we started the company in 2018 
And my co-founder and I, we basically had a spreadsheet. We just said, like, what are all the problems that, that businesses and enterprises are going to run into in crypto? And we just started listing them out. We had 20 or 30 different problems there. And at the very top of the list was, was accounting and second was tax. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that's very different about Bitwave versus some of the, there's a lot of retail tax solutions out there. So yes. people that help you do your taxes. What's interesting about businesses, businesses close their book every month, their books every month. They do their taxes either quarterly or annually. So accounting is a much bigger issue for businesses. And the people that are doing the work are very different. Like a bookkeeper versus a master's of tax is a very, very different person. Yes. So we've built a product that is designed for businesses to help them with their accounting needs. Um, the general idea is that you basically do your bookkeeping. So you, you, for us, a lot of our customers are people like OpenSea and Greenwich, which is a power generator, and Optimism, which is an L2, and Dash, which is an L1. Um, these are our longtime customers at this point, and uh, they get revenue from crypto. So let's Optimism is a great example, or uh, OpenSea is a great example. They are a marketplace where you can buy and trade NFTs, and every time there's a trade of an NFT, they get a little bit of money deposited into their Ethereum address. That happens a million times a day. So they're tracking a million, whatever, tra transactions a day of revenue. Each of those from the, what makes the accounting so hard or what makes this whole problem so hard is that when you get that revenue, it is essentially three different things. So first and foremost, it's a, it has a general ledger impact. I, I don't know how deep we want to go on the accounting side. But. Well, the funny thing <laughs> is that uh, I hear you and I think this is all really important stuff. So keep going. I may ask some questions if it's okay yeah. later on to clarify some of these things, but there will be a selfish motive behind it because I want to know. All right. But yeah, keep going. All right. So the first thing is I, I just, someone just sent me some Ethereum. I need to book that into my general ledger as income, right? So I need, I need to book the revenue. So that, that, that goes in first. So I fair market value the ETH. I book that as revenue in my general ledger. I just picked up one ETH that now is a inventory item that I am tracking for tax purposes. So today ETH is at whatever $1,500. So I now have a $1,500 inventory item of ETH. When I go and spend that, the delta between where I spent it and where I acquired it is my tax gain or loss. Yes. Third, uh, I have a U.S. gap obligation. So I might also have to do what's called impairment. This is where one of the things we should talk about today is, is how businesses are getting more into crypto. Part of that is that FASB just released some new guidance around this, which is actually changing the treatment for ETH potentially. They've, they voted on it and they have, you know, how FASB works. It's a long, long, long cycle. But they uh, potentially are moving from the intangible asset treatment for digital assets, which means you have to, you can pick up a expense which lowers the carrying value, but you don't get to re-pick up the, when, when, the, when, the, when the value goes back up, you don't get to pick up a contra expense to actually re regain that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it makes it very painful for businesses to keep it on their balance sheet. We'll talk about that. So as you end up having a, a separate gain or loss based on U.S. gap rules that is different than your tax gain or loss. So what happens from an accounting perspective that's so interesting is that you end up with bifurcated books where you have your U.S. gap books, which are then actually different from your tax books, and you have to make sure that those match up and line up at the end of the year and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we have software that monitors the blockchain, integrates with your ERP, allows you to categorize transactions, click one button, push it into NetSuite, Sage, QuickBooks, whatever you're using, and then run all the reports at the end of the period to figure out your gains or losses, your impairment expenses, anything else you need to do, monitor your portfolio value, and then we have a bunch of stuff around DeFi, which is really fun yeah. too. Yeah, <laughs> and I want to ask you about that a second. Let's clarify too, 
for listeners who may not know, GAAP is generally generally accepted accounting principles, right. and the FASB is the Financial Accounting Standards Board. When you take those two things in combination, they're super crucial to making sure you've got your numbers straight and not running afoul of the law. Yeah. Now, let's get into DeFi, which is decentralized finance. I both love this topic and be really need to study up on it because <laughs> I don't quite understand how you can decentralize finance. I know some of this is going on in the workplace too, these decentralized workplaces where yeah. everybody's dream, there's no boss, there's no supervisor, <laughs> there's no CEO. But let's talk about DeFi a bit. And that's also your sweet spot, yeah. having a podcast in that yeah. turf and really connect it as well to what you're doing with your company. Yeah, absolutely. So the way I like to describe DeFi is imagine a world where everything that you would use a traditional financial services institution for um, is is peer to peer. So let's take like the different things that you would do uh, would be borrowing money, lending money, uh, trading, making a trade. So I'm going to trade, you know, $10 for some some Tesla stock trading. Um, going out to even further things out there, bonds, issuing bonds, collateralized debt obligations, swaps, parametric insurance. Like, you know, there are people that I can go today and I can buy insurance on if it's going to rain in Poughkeepsie in November, right? Like you mm -hmm. can buy that insurance today. All of those things, every single thing I just mentioned is available today on the blockchain in a peer-to-peer -peer manner where you're basically going direct to someone who wants to service you and, and cutting out the middleman. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a really interesting part of this to talk about, which is, uh, which I, I enjoy talking about, which is that America at this point, I mean, it's, it's a, a crazy amount of our industry, of our, of our GDP is actually our financial services industry. Mm -hmm. So there's this, there's this aspect where even proposing this is like almost an existential threat to, to the financial services industry out there. But we'll talk about that separately. So, yes. So what I can do is I can go to a protocol. There's one that's uh, a BitWave customer called Compound. I can go to Compound. I can put $100 into Compound as a token. So USDC, mm -hmm. which is a stable coin. Uh, that $100 can then earn interest because people will borrow against it. Mm -hmm. The thing that's so interesting, the reason that this is so revolutionary is Compound is a hundred person company, maybe, maybe a couple hundred people. They have no physical location, right? They're totally decentralized. They have no servers. They have no office. They have no servers. They have no branches. Their, their code runs entirely on Ethereum. So instead of them having servers that they keep in a data center, they use the Ethereum network as a giant worldwide computer to do their work. Wow. And the idea is they've built a smart contract that it is, it, it puts, con, you know, smart contract guarantees. So, so blockchain level guarantees that if, you know, because it's all, this is all collateralized, uh, over collateralized borrowing. So you have to put up like $10 of Bitcoin and you can borrow $8 of USD against that. Mm -hmm. And it is all, all on chain. And what ends up being so interesting is that you are, it, from a competition standpoint, that is coming in, like right now, prime plus 4%. Like let's say, if I go to Bank of America to borrow money, mm -hmm. I'm gonna be paying somewhere around like eight to 10% for that, for that privilege, right? Like that's about what the, it's prime plus like, you know, what they have to pay their people, their servers, all that kind of stuff. I can go to Compound today and borrow at 2% APY. So this is, it is a existential threat 
by basically removing all the infrastructure, all the middlemen, everything that's out there. It is a deep existential threat to American financial services industry by just cutting out the middleman. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There have been studies that I have seen and actually ran this by a guy who was, emphasis on was, <laughs> my financial advisor. And it's that if you consider the fees that a financial advisor charges and you add them up and compound them vis-a-vis -vis your portfolio, yep. you are losing so much money. And so without naming this person, <laughs> he would call me every couple of months and say, well, I'm going to take the fiddle fudget of the investment fund that is based in the parting waves particle <laughs> and we're going to sell that short term but we're going to wait a month and come back and buy it again and eventually I just said to him look you're making money every time this happens my portfolio is down 8% and the market is up 25% yeah. why am I working with you? Yep. Yep. And the reason he was working with me was he was making a killing making, making off of me money. and everyone else that he did this. Oh, so yeah. I love, 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 love the idea of DeFi. I think it's mean, time has come. I, I tend to think of it as there's a, you know, there's a term in economics, rent, rent seeking. Yes. And I, I think that that is rampant in financial services. I mean, essentially, there's this 3% tax that the financial services industry, whether that be MasterCard, Visa, the banks, are basically extracting from the economy. So that'd be if you want to issue a bond, I mean, there's sort of two parts, but I always joke about this. Like, I'm, I, 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 we have a 40, 50 person company. I can't issue a bond. Like, I, there's no one at JP Morgan <laughs> to take my call, mm -hmm. but I could go on the blockchain tomorrow and issue debt, like tranched, complex tranched debt that we can then service on a monthly basis and actually has credit obligations and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and if I were to do that through JP Morgan, which A, already they wouldn't take my call. So this, there's this aspect of, of access to financial services that you wouldn't otherwise have, but B, they also would charge three percent. If you're doing a, if you're doing a billion dollar bond, three percent is real money. I that mean, is big money. Real money. Yeah. So we, you know, it, and there's there's this other aspect that I love about DeFi. People talk a lot about one of the things people love about cryptocurrency in general is this idea of. Uh, democratizing access. So it's this, this idea of in Africa, you can spin up cryptocurrency you know, payment networks and people that never had the ability to do electronic payments or earn yield can get access to that immediately. And you, it's where we're seeing so much of the so much of the pickup in crypto is coming from countries outside of the you know, US and Canada and things like that. So it's great. What I love about DeFi is it is then it's doing that same sort of democratization, but for complex financial instruments. And it's instead of it just being democratization for individuals getting access to banking services, it's for businesses. So things that, that a company like mine could never have dreamed of, mm -hmm. we could suddenly do like, you know, if we if we wanted to. So it's really it's all of this stuff is this idea of like, what do you, what happens if you cut out all the middlemen? And I find someone wants to borrow money. I want to lend money. You put him and me together. Yeah. Not as a loan shark. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> not. <laughs> you put it that way. But but and you put indirectly, and then and then what are all the cost efficiencies that come from that? Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, Pat, I'm of Italian lineage with a lot of Sicilians. So you speak to me after the show. How much money you need? You've got an extra left leg, I think you know what I'm saying, exactly. right? Now let's go to the flip side of this, and I'm going to stress that I'm going to be both devil's advocate and the guy with the white hat. When I think about Do Kwan, right, yeah. uh, Terra, Luna, I want to strangle him. Yep. A really arrogant son of a gun 
it's a family show, so I can't say son of a bitch. <laughs> Oops, I just said it. And he thought he was smarter than everyone else and never made a secret about that. And almost single-handedly, and maybe you have to be super smart to do the start of the crypto winter. Well, I, it's, it's smarter or arrogant. I mean, he was incredibly arrogant. And for what it's worth, he's on the lam now. So, so there, is, there is some justice in the world. Yeah. Like, he has an Interpol arrest warrant out for him and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, when I think about that in terms of the larger implications, the crypto yeah. winter, we see so much irrationality when it comes to investing or putting money somewhere. There have actually been studies that prove that novice investors will more often pick a stock at the beginning of the alphabet ABC than yeah. at the end of the alphabet A, <laughs> XYZ. That's why I'm going to start a company called Aaron Industries. Yeah. yeah. But Aardvark. Yeah, Aardvark. There you go. Aardvark Industries. Yeah. Let's sounds do like, it. Sounds like a Marvel, like a Marvel comic thing. Ant-Man from Aardvark yeah. Industries. Yeah. <laughs> and Aquaman's on the board of directors. <laughs> But thinking about that, that really, because of the way Bitcoin got punished, Ethereum got punished, yeah. all of these... They, they, sold, they sold through their reserves. They sold through 80,000 80, Bitcoin reserves trying to keep the stablecoin propped up, which basically was a just complete yeah. drawdown on the market. Yeah. So my theory, and you can tell me if I'm correct or incorrect, and then add your context yeah. to it, since this is your world every day, is that this crypto winter because it was really essentially kicked off by one company is not a permafrost that because we're reaching ubiquity with a lot of these cryptocurrencies they have proven without a doubt and i used to be a bitcoin skeptic that yeah. they're here to stay yeah. and things are going to pick up where do you sit with all of this what's your point of view so I'll, there's a, a couple a couple pieces to unwrap there um this crypto winner was started by Dokon, Dokon, 100% agree with that. There was the, the drawdown of Bitcoin was 100% what you know it was. It was from them trying to keep the UST stabilized. Crypto is for a long time. People have tried to think of Bitcoin. It, it's so there's a couple of things I'll mention here. So everyone, if you talk to Bitcoin, if you've had like a real Bitcoin maximalist on your show before, you know they will say things like Bitcoin is an inflationary hedge like that was a lot of the idea behind bitcoin it's a deflationary currency less and less is produced every year it's a hedge against inflation it is very it's a very compelling argument and i'll, I'll say this and i'll kind of like date myself i mean i'm i'm 38 mm -hmm. i have never lived through a period of inflation i think the highest inflation in my entire life was in the early 90s like 93 i think it hit six percent for like six months or something yeah but like I, I didn't live through stagflation i lived through the 70s all that kind of stuff so there's this really interesting part of like you have an entire generation of people like me who you hear this thing of like hey this is an inflationary hedge but we actually don't know i mean it's like yes. there's like we have no idea i don't even know what that really means to be quite honest i mean because yeah. i've never had to live through inflation now we're mm -hmm. now we're seeing it and what we saw is that bitcoin is has been punished by inflation now it's done well, like Bitcoin stabilized around 20K. And so even Bitcoin stabilized at 20K actually is a inflationary hedge. But, yeah. but outside of that, like the idea, the thing that people that were really deep into Bitcoin kind of missed about that is that the world is not a, you don't exist in a vacuum. Bitcoin doesn't exist in a vacuum. 
when you can't pay your bills, when you can't buy gas, that doesn't happen. Like that doesn't mean you're going to hold on to your Bitcoin. Like if you are really, really nervous about everything that's happening, you are probably going to sell your Bitcoin. If you need to pay your, your rent, you're going to sell your Bitcoin. There's all these externalities that basically mean like it's why the world is this is this quite large interconnected uh, uh, entity that we live in. And so that's what ultimately, you know, the unease in the general market. I tend to think of cryptocurrency as the tip of the spear in terms of risk for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Like if you are if you are Joe Blow, you might have you know Google and JP Morgan in your stock portfolio, and then at the very tip of your risk spear is going to be Bitcoin. Yes. So when you are feeling nervous about the world, you start at the top and you start drawing down from there. So you sell your riskiest asset, and then your second riskiest, and then finally you hold on to your T bills at the end of the day. Yeah. So that's that like that sort of all of those things together meant that we. You know the, the the macro and the micro of you know Doquan and then inflation. All is sort of why we're in this winter where we are right now. I will say of of Doquan, um, I what I so in I won't say in his defense because he's what he did was essentially indefensible. But what is really interesting is there was there's a certain amount of nobility around what he was trying to do around UST. Mm -hmm. There, so the different. It, there are different types of things we call we call stable coins. So yes. you, if you've heard of USDC, it's a stable coin. It's backed one to one by U.S. dollars. This is run by by Coinbase. The problem with a currency like that is it is completely centralized. So the day that Coinbase decides they don't like you, or more likely the day that OFAC sanctions you, and you get a you get a OFAC sanction like with Tornado Cash, mm -hmm. uh, they as a centralized entity are obliged to lock lock your funds and disallow you access to that to that money. Mm -hmm. And so there is an inherent issue with fully centralized, totally backed stable coins. So there has been a long period where people are trying to figure out ways to back, create a stable coin, a, a coin that will hold some sort of value commensurate to USD yes. without having a centralized entity behind it. Tricky. So, so it's, it is. It's incredibly hard. So Doquan's idea was to basically do an algorithmic stable coin where you, you hold Bitcoin reserves that you can use to manipulate the price. So you buy or sell your Bitcoin to basically against the UST, which was, there, which was Terra's uh, um, stable coin, uh, to manipulate the price to try to keep it around $1. Mm -hmm. there, every single stable coin, this, the, it was not the first time that it's happened. And it always runs into a black hole, uh, a vortex problem, a, a vicious, a vicious negative cycle when things go wrong. Yes, is that you start selling, which means you have to start selling, which means you have to sell more, which means you have to keep selling. So you end <laughs> up in this really bad situation there. So that's that's what happened there. But the goal is still very noble. Like the the industry absolutely needs a algorithmic or a non-centralized stablecoin at some point. We just don't know what that's going to look like. And so, like what I love about crypto is that it, we are experimenting. This is, you know, we're, DeFi was really uh, invented in maybe 2018. Mm -hmm. So this is like a four-year-old, $100 billion industry that cropped up overnight. And we're still figuring things out, you yeah. know, the, the normal. So that's the fun part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of ready, fire, aim. A little bit a of a tangential question, but I'm just fascinated to know. Satoshi Nakamoto, yeah. Craig Wright, I think is full of crap. Oh, he no, claims right. to be him, but it's like, why are you still working hard at operating a business if yeah. you created Bitcoin? Yeah. Do you have any theories on who Satoshi is or what group of people it might be? I, uh, I tend to think 
No, I don't know. I yeah, I have no idea. Honestly, it's super interesting. Like I've I've read all the stuff. I like was on some early emails with him. Like, um, I I think there's a good chance it was a group of people and that um, uh, not Craig. I, you said that name. It got it got my brain. But uh, <laughs> um, oh, I'm forgetting the name. There was there was a, a Hal Hal Finney. Uh, I tend to think there was a group of people and Hal Finney was probably one of those four people. There's been like some really interesting, like the NSA did an analysis where they looked at, they looked at the writing and then they looked at the time zones and then they looked at the, um, uh, the code and they did like statistical analysis on it and they sort of thought that it's like something like four different people had pieces contributed. You look at the time zones, there was like, there's like a, a heavy lean towards, uh, I believe it was West Coast time. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's a heavy lean. There was like maybe some on the West Coast. So that's where, that's sort of like how Finney kind of fits a few of those fact patterns. But yeah. I don't know. And it, it like, I, I like, I actually love, I love the way uh, that all happened. I mean, honestly, like, it's a really funny thing to say. But like, I don't think Bitcoin would be what it was today if there was, a, if, if he was a public figure. Oh, yeah. Well, two of the urban myths, there are so many. Yeah. One of them was that whether Satoshi is one person or a group of people, that they collected like pop culture ephemera and somebody bought a McDonald's napkin and got ripped off, like a McDonald's napkin from the 70s and okay. said, you know, if I just had a way of doing this on something like a blockchain, this wouldn't have happened to me. <laughs> and the other theory was that one of the creators lived across the street from a guy named Satoshi Nakamoto yeah. and thought, that's a really cool name. And at some point, this poor guy gets like swarmed by all yeah. these people. And it's like, I don't even know what a Bitcoin is. The guy, the guy in LA, yeah. yeah. He's become like a, he's become like a uh, I don't, I don't even know what you call it, an unintentional celebrity. Like his, his photo is used for Satoshi Nakamoto, but he is definitely not Satoshi Nakamoto. But, it, <laughs> but it's, just, it's just, you know, it's a, I think like a Japanese-American guy living in L.A. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah. They made that poor guy's life miserable. I hope they put some Bitcoin in his bank yeah, account. Yeah. So final question is we get ready to go out and hit the casino floor and wipe it out. <laughs> get you your money back. Buddy. Yeah. We're, I'm here for you. There we go. We're a team. Is... If we're having this conversation six months to a year later and we know how fast this world is moving, where do you see yourself? Where do you see Bitwave? What kind of things are you doing? Where are you blazing a trail? The really interesting stuff. So there's, there's a few things that are super interesting that we love. So um, I'll, I'll give you the macro. I, I like to think of crypto in terms of summers. Like 2020 was the summer of DeFi. 21 was the summer of NFTs. Uh, 2022 was the summer of winter where it's just been like, you know, <laughs> like nothing, nothing's happening. Everyone's been terrified. Um, 23 for me, I think it's gonna be the summer of tokenization. Like that's where I, you know, the to so tokenization refers to the idea of- The NFT? Uh, no, so, so there's NFT tokenization, which is kind of a part of it, but it's the idea of real world assets getting turned into tokens that are represented on chain. So I don't know if you follow this, KKR just announced that they're gonna to be tokenizing uh, 4 billion of their AUMs. They have, a, they have a portfolio of $4 billion. They're gonna be issuing tokens and basically selling that off on chain. You can buy it and you too could own, you know, one small part of KKR's portfolio. Mm. Um, other tokenization instances are, uh, we have a customer that does uh, real property tokenization. So they basically buy, they buy a house in, uh, you know new orleans and they they tokenize it uh so they they issue tokens for that house if you own a part of it they, they then rent it out and they manage it if you own one of those tokens 
uh, once a month, you get a small amount deposited in your in your account that is your share of that month's rent. How about that? Super cool stuff. We just saw a roof stock just had last last week sold the first ever tokenized. This was an NFT. They uh, created an NFT tokenizing a house in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, sold it for 175k on OpenSea. Um, we are seeing the move towards tokenization. So by the end of next year, I think we're going to see every stock you'll be able to buy on the blockchain. You know, all of the, you know, Tesla, anything like that, you'll be able to buy on the blockchain. Every Forex you'll be able to buy on the blockchain. Houses, real property, gold, silver, all of those things will be, will be on the blockchain for you to kind of purchase and, and work with. So that's, that's something that we're tracking because the accounting treatments for that is incredibly complicated. Like if you buy a house on the blockchain, what what just happened like <laughs> did you buy an nft did you buy a house like what like you know because with nfts you have to impair them this treatment we were talking about where you mark them down but with houses you don't impair them so if i bought an nft of a house do i impair it or not like what's the treatment around there so you have to go through the the analysis and, and come up with all that that kind of treatment for it so we're gonna be we'll be on the forefront of that we're also seeing more and more more and more people are paying and they're bringing crypto into their ARAP cycle. So they are they are doing more. They're paying bills. They're paying employees. They're paying contractors. They're paying their vendors. They're getting paid in crypto. The next, I, I don't think we see it big next year, but let's say like two or three years from now will be when one of the big suppliers out there, the Walmarts of the world, the Nikes of the world, starts to put real pressure on their supply chain to move to the blockchain. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, if you follow this industry at all, there's there's been this like notion of blockchain, blockchain powering supply chains for a while, and so people were trying to do that with these like private blockchains. So they made there's a company called Hyperledger that made a private blockchain, and they were trying to do it. It was always kind of folly because the the beauty of crypto is connecting some sort of on chain action with money. So like I scan you know a a container arrives at port and we scan it. That puts something on the blockchain, which releases money back to the shipping company, back to the supplier, back to the screw manufacturer in Vietnam, like all the mm-hmm. way down the chain. Yeah. So, and by doing that, you basically have just gotten rid of whatever uh, five people at your in your AP group at your company. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start to see over the next couple of years, we're going to start to see payments become a bigger and bigger part of this world. So we like we launched a product recently, which is a, an ops product, which lets you do payments, bill payments, all that kind of stuff from the product, all totally non-custodial. Right. So the beauty of this stuff is that you're not paying us. We're not taking our one percent. Like we're not taking that one uh, percent. Uh, uh, tithing, right? We are just giving you a tool where you bring your own key, you click a couple buttons, and you can pay your vendors. That so is it's fabulous. Like, imagine, I mean, it's, it, it is an existential threat to like bill.com because just the monetization mechanism is totally different. We charge you 25 bucks a month for that. Bill.com charges you 3% every transaction. So that stuff is going to be, I mean, those marginal efficiencies are going to re- rewrite a lot of the payment rails industry. And that's why MasterCard, Visa, Stripe, all these guys are getting into it because they all look to a world where they are they have a very fundamental existential crisis at their hands if they don't kind of think about it early. Yeah, I mean, those efficiencies are what make companies click and yep. increase profitability, but do it safely. I'm thinking if there's a token for that New Orleans house, <laughs> you and I should create tokens of ourselves. <laughs> and then you can take one room and I'll take another yeah. room. So our tokens will live in, 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 in the tokenized house. house. <laughs> and we're only in trouble if a thief tokenizes himself and then decides <laughs> to steal our stuff. But then yeah. we can 
work on getting him thrown off the blockchain. Until we get token, uh, token insurance. <laughs> yes, there you go. Pat, thank you so much for being on Bankadelic. I super enjoyed this conversation. I'm going to look forward to following what you're doing with Bitwave and hope we can stay in touch. I would love to. This was this was really fun. And uh, good luck at the, uh, the Play Casino later today. Yeah, well, I'm going to tokenize my winnings. <laughs> yeah, I'll buy into that. There you go. Pat White is the co-founder and CEO of Bitwave. He is based in the San Francisco area. Be sure to look for Pat on LinkedIn. Thanks again for tuning in to Bankadelic Live from Money 2020 in Las Vegas. We hope you are enjoying this series of special episodes and encourage you to go over to SoundCloud to check out the entire Bankadelic archive. Thanks again to the William Mills Agency for their generous support. On-site production in Las Vegas provided by yours truly and Scott Mills. Special thanks also to Banker Hire and Lemonade LXP as well as our good friends Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery of Dave and Darm Demystify. I'm Lou Carlozo, and as my good friend and associate Johnny DeBig would say, what happens at Money 2020 in Vegas stays at Money 2020 in Vegas. Capiche? Until next time, so long. Bankadelic is a production of NMD+, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.